Hello and welcome to the Women in Sports podcast. If you're a regular listener, you'll be used to hearing from someone within sport talking about some of the amazing things they're doing. But my guest today is a little bit different. As president of the National Farmers Union and the first woman in the organisation's history to hold the post, she works on behalf of UK farming businesses to protect and champion British agriculture and horticulture. Sport may not be her career, but it's played a pivotal role in her life and provided her with the skills to enable her to effectively lead one of the country's most respected trade organisations. So welcome to the podcast, Minette Batters. Oh, thank you. I mean, thank you so much for joining us. We are recording this in the middle of party conference season, so I know you must be extremely busy. It's been incredibly busy and a very different government to the previous government. And of course, for us, you know, we we engage with all parties. We're apolitical. So we didn't have the Liberal Democrat Party conference because of the national period of mourning. So we were at the Labour Party conference uh, up in Liverpool. And we've just sort of coming back from uh, the Conservative Party conference in Birmingham. So it's it's a full on time. I mean, it is a, it is a scary and difficult time for a lot of people at the moment just briefly tell us what the situation's like for um for farming businesses well i think it's it's really important actually that we we do sort of collectively discuss this because it, it is all about farming but it is all about food and with the cost of living crisis i i think we've always taken for granted having access to high quality food high quality british food um, a huge array when I think uh, when I was growing up what was available for a salad and what is available now they are incomparable so it's been a huge success story if you like our, our food system and affordability now food to what it was but the double whammy if you like or the triple whammy in many ways of leaving the EU mm. of a global pandemic and now war in Ukraine is driving costs um, that we've never dealt with before, driving massive costs of energy that, of course, everybody is suffering from, costs of fuel, costs of labour. And it, there's a real challenge in keeping food affordable, but keeping the supply coming forward. So giving farmers and growers the confidence to reinvest. So everybody will say in the supply chain, this is an unprecedented situation. And of course, you've seen the big energy package that government has put out. I don't think six months is really going to last it for my sector. But this is something that affects each and every one of us going forwards. It absolutely does. We could talk all day about the difficulties that we're all facing at the moment and the potential solutions. But I mean, I want to kind of go back really to the start of, of your career and where you've ended up to now. You you grew up on a farm in Wiltshire. You undoubtedly have quite had quite an active outdoor lifestyle as part of that. What role did sport therefore have in your childhood? I think it had a, a big role, but I, I'm sure many, many of your listeners will relate to this. You know, when I was a child, sort of growing up education in the 70s and 80s, sport was just sort of something that you did. Uh, you didn't really recognise it as it was massively important for shaping you as 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 what and who you are, uh, mm -hmm. physical well-being, mental well-being. None of those things back then were really talked about. So sport was something I think that, you know, I certainly took for granted. I absolutely loved it. But I think it's only now looking back and looking at my kids um, and, you know, how much they get out of sport that I think we really realise almost since the London Olympics, 
sport became pretty pivotal for everybody. And I think it's I think it's great where we are now because I think the opportunities are so much more widespread and I don't think anybody takes it for granted anymore, which is another good thing. Well, let's hope not. I mean, let's. what kind of sports did you play at school? I mean, there are, you know, certainly back in, in the 70s, as you mentioned, some horror stories of gym knickers and, you know, being forced to run around the, uh, the fields three times. But, you know, what was your experience like? So I, I definitely remember those days. Um, and we used to wear those ghastly black pencils, which were just not designed to go anywhere in. Um, but I suppose, you know, my main memories are um, playing. I was in the first team for netball. Um, I was in the first team for lacrosse at school. And actually lacrosse was was the game that I really enjoyed. Um, again, a t- I suppose throughout my childhood, teenage years, and sort of into my 20s, life um, fluctuated from team sports to individual sports because I also did a lot of riding and I rode um, uh, in quite a few team competitions, both for school within the pony club and latterly uh, more with the sort of British eventing um, as well. So I think team sports, you know, they teach you different things to, to being an individual, but you know, both, I, I definitely think looking back, you know, have, have really helped shape me. And I've still taken up, I guess, one sport now um, that has probably shaped me more than anything. And that's been running. I've run in three London marathons. The the worst thing I think about taking up sport or different sport in, in um, older age, shall we say, as you grow in older, is that your brain is still wanting you to do better than you did previously. So I still want to run a London mar- marathon faster than my first one, which was sub four hours. Mentally, wow. I can't get away from that. <laughs> so that I mean, that's, that's pretty no. incredible, isn't it? And actually, there was, I don't know whether you saw, there was an article, you, we've just had the um, the London marathon over the weekend, but there was an article to say there's, there's been a huge increase in the number of women over 50 running the marathon. And I think, you know, now and, and certainly post-COVID, it's been an escape for a lot of women. It's been their way of, of being able to mentally switch off from everything going, going on. Oh, without doubt. I mean, I ran my first London marathon when my son uh, was five and he'd just been diagnosed with type one diabetes. And I I was desperate to do something to raise the profile uh, and to raise money. But most of all, I think to help me find something, some way of giving back to cope with the the grief effectively of realising that, you know, George is going to be on, on insulin for the rest of his life. And it was it was, as you say, an enormous get out and release effectively a sport that you could just get out of the house and run and run and run. And you didn't have to wear any safety gear or drive anywhere. I'm very lucky where I live. And I think a lot of women found that um, well, men and women found that during COVID. It was a great way. If you could get out once, you could get out and go for go for a good distance. So an enormous release. I'm interested to find out a little bit more about your team sport experience. I played a lot of team sports, so I know personally the skills and the attributes that it's provided me and, and the you know the people that I've met through playing in various teams. Um, but how has it shaped you? You say looking back, you realise how much it's given you, but can you explain that? I think what team sports do and do ever better, and sort of women's football has, has really showcased that, is that you know the the better the team in the way that it works together and picks everybody else up 
and and drives that team ambition is ultimately what leads to success and leading you know I always refer to the NFU as team NFU because you know we're a very big organization we employ a lot of people we represent 47,000 farming businesses but we all want uh, a successful future for British agriculture but we have many many different requirements within that team and sometimes there's competition within that team and so speaking and working and championing with one voice is always quite difficult. And, and that, I think, is what team sport teaches you, that if you all pull together uh, in your own different ways, that is ultimately what leads to, to success. And if you don't do that, and we see it time and time again, if a team isn't really working as a team, it will lead to failure. So it's it's not easy, I, I don't think, running a team of any size um, and building uh, that coalition, that real ambition to continue to strive for more. But definitely, if you've been involved in team sports, I think it really helps you also accept failure because sometimes things just don't go right. And for whatever reason, you all then share in in what failure looks like and I suppose what I've always tried to do is to turn failure into a positive because every time I've failed or every time I've been involved with a team that's failed actually it's all of you together picking each other up that makes you better for the next one you're you're always better from failure whatever that failure is I, I genuinely believe now that you are better for it yeah I mean nothing showed the unity of a team did it more than the lionesses um over the summer just how much of a unit they were and how much togetherness and passion they showed just came across in every game that they played and i think that very much speaks to to what you're talking about and you know and again with failure you know with failure as you say comes resilience and that's so important in whatever job you do um you know or career in in your life isn't it Oh, it is. And, you know, I, looking at sort of politics, which a lot of people will be avoiding, I think people are avoiding politics more and more and more and the media. But, you know, that that team spirit that the lionesses showed, goodness, you know, our political representatives could do a lot to learn from them because they really gave pride to the nation. And I think they really showed my twins are 18 and it really showed to them, you know, my son was as keen on watching the women's football as as my daughter was and you know the message that they sent out to everybody was such a positive one and you look at their journey and it's not been an easy journey to get to where they are women's football hasn't been an easy journey but that was sort of true recognition for many many people that have gone before and the nation was so proud that's the difference you know the nation was so proud of what they represented and what they'd done I think there's more than a few people that would uh, happily vote Serena Wiegmann as our next prime minister. <laughs> I <do. laughs> um, so, so talk to me a little bit about your kind of career span that you, you left school and you, you went into a catering business. So just talk to me through that journey of how you got from from there into the NFU. Oh, gosh. So, yes, left school. Um was riding a lot then um I worked for a racehorse trainer I rode um in point to points myself which is sort of national hunt racing um which again is is sort of a bit of a team sport in that you are all together but of course you are competing against one another so it's it's ferociously competitive 
and of course you're building a relationship with um your partner your horse which is a whole nother thing to you know building a relationship with an animal that leads ultimately to to success so i was i was riding a lot um running a, a catering business as well i trained in in london for that because i think this is the big thing with sport and certainly the big thing with horses it, it doesn't pay very well and so you often unless you are very very good you are you are having to you know earn your living outside and that means sort of juggling lots of balls and i was really i guess very happy doing that running the farm running a coaching business i had a very young family and i got involved in the nfu at a local county level i farm in in south wiltshire near salisbury really because i was i was frustrated i wanted to I wanted change to happen and I guess I was fed up with sitting on the outside and so I got involved at a local level and quite quickly and not with any intent that led to a greater role and then eventually being elected in as deputy president of the National Farmers Union in 2014 and I suppose what surprises me is that it was the last thing on my mind to do and it's changed my whole life, it's shaped my whole life, I've been nearly a decade now and it will come to an end. You know, I I am unlikely to stand again and I will have pretty much done a decade uh, leading farmers at the most extraordinary time of change. And I suppose it's a responsibility. And I think, again, I draw a parallel of thinking with team sport in that you feel enormously responsible. And, you know, within even the best team sports, you know, we all have, you know, we're all going to fail at some stage and we're all then going to have to live with how that felt and actually the camaraderie then is what picks you up because everybody suffers from it but I'm really aware leading this team at the NFU of how history will judge us of I guess looking back and knowing that I did absolutely my best that's probably the most important thing I'm not going to get everything right nobody does but I want to look back and know that I didn't leave any stone unturned and I got it as right as I could Absolutely. And do you think that that sport and your background in sport has given you the mental resilience and the mental kind of attributes to be able to to lead at the top and lead in what is a very male dominated environment? Oh, without any shadow of doubt. And I I don't think it's brought enough into, you know, we, we go through all sorts of mentoring um you know, HR development in the business world. I don't think we focus nearly enough on sport as to how to build mental resilience. And also, I think, you know, if if you are sporty and by when I say sporty, it doesn't mean that you have to be, you know, elite or even, you know, semi or even trying to be sport and the aspiration to do better in that sport also allows you to be incredibly competitive with yourself. And it means that you push yourself and continue to push yourself. And we should never underestimate. I certainly don't underestimate the strength that that has given me when everything else seems. And I've had pretty dark days in this role. But the, my sporting background is definitely what allows me to think, no, I, I am not going to give up on this. I'm going to pull myself up and I'm going to go forwards and I'm going to be better for it. So I would love to see sport built far more into professional lives of business people because uh, and certainly you know we're joking about it earlier but you know political uh roles you know sport gives you a lot more than just you know 
I guess, physical capability and feeling personally like you're gaining, it actually leads, I think, to you being a much stronger, more resilient person and, and a much better person on the back of that. Absolutely, hundred percent. And you know, as you've mentioned, it's it's being able to fail and not be afraid of failure because you understand that you can't be the best at something unless you failed. And certainly, sport does teach you that, doesn't it? Because you can't go out and you know be the best footballer, you know, netballer, hockey player, whatever it is you play, unless you get things wrong. You know, you you don't go out and and pick up a you know a a, a golf club and get a hole in one unless you're very lucky on the first attempt. Um, you know, you have to fail hundreds and thousands of times to be able to get it right but you know one of the things that we campaign for uh, at women in sport is to be able to see you know PE certainly made a core subject in in schools because we know the un- the importance of all of the things that you've just mentioned and all of the the attributes that sport gives um gives you women and girls in particular in it to, to be able to reach their potential in in life in in every area of life and it builds healthy habits doesn't it so you know we need to see that and we you know we're talking politically but we do need to to see that at you know at an early level we know that we know that girls as young as seven years old are starting to lose their self-esteem which is horrific um yeah. you know and we are we without without sport and without building sport as into part of our DNA as part of our culture, you know, we we are already at risk of an inactivity crisis. We're on the, you know, we're in a mental health crisis. You know, all of these things, um, you know, could could be helped significantly if if we were more active. Oh, look, I couldn't agree with you more. And I guess there's two things um, that I feel would make, you know, a massive, massive uh uh, I guess, positive change to the educational journey. And, and that is an absolute focus and investment in, in PE and, sco- and sport in schools mm. and also in, in learning how to cook, valuing nutrition, understanding nutrition. And those two things, I mean, I really know now, you know, how much better my diet is, how much better I am physically and mentally on the back of a really good diet that actually is more affordable than buying ready meals. I mean, I'm lucky that I trained in catering, but, you know, I I really, really value what I eat now because the difference that that has on on actually your physical capability is enormous. And those two things, you know, we face enormous challenges with an obesity crisis and all the problems that, that young people have now going forwards. And actually, if we can inspire them with sport and better nutrition, those are, are really enormous life values that will hold everybody in great stead and lead to lead to a much healthier, much better quality of life. Absolutely. And what about the kind of connection to, to nature in the countryside? You know, we saw certainly from you know that that difficult time through COVID, how much people valued being outside and reconnecting with green space around them. And I think for a lot of people they took it for granted and it, it doesn't matter where they live, just being able to connect to any green space, whether that's, you know, a park in the middle of a, of a city or whether you're lucky enough to live, um, you know, near some countryside or in the countryside. Um, what are you doing as part of, of your role at the NFU to help people connect and understand nature better? 
Oh, this has been a, a, a massive piece of, of work for us, really. I mean, there's the sort of two sides to it. One is making sure that people can access the countryside safely. So really looking out for the countryside code. Um, we are blessed with a huge network of footpaths, of bridleways that crisscross our country. And I, I am constantly amazed. I was on Exmoor last week um, speaking at a national parks event. And I, I was just astonished myself that I hadn't been there. You know, it's such a beautiful, stunning place with so many uh, ways of accessing it. Um, and so we should really, really look across the country as to where we can access, where we can really exercise in what I would call the green gym. So there's there's that sort of side of the NFU, I guess, that is trying to signpost people and encourage people to enjoy it safely. And then there is the other side of, of what we are doing, which is really about, I guess, showing the value of the countryside and the fact that, you know, you can link into different levels of, of tourism, of food. You know, food is so diverse um, and the opportunities um, now of really exploring what the culture of food in the UK is enormous and actually being able to do that by accessing what I've often referred to as the green gym amazes me that, you know, we all pay a lot of money to sort of sit in a gym or go swimming or all those other things. And actually getting outside into nature is the best thing in the world. And it's free and it's there. And we really need to signpost people more to it because I, I know on the back of lockdown, it was amazing to me the number of people and I met them on my farm walking the footpath, people who'd never walked the footpath, who lived very locally, who said, oh, this is just amazing. You know, we never knew it was here. And we mustn't lose that. You know, that was there were very few positives about lockdown and COVID, but actually accessing the countryside and the restoration of being out with nature. Oh, I think it's amazing what it can do. Um, and we need to get more people out. Yeah, we just had that time, didn't we? We had that time to just slow down and, and appreciate what was around us and on our doorsteps. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, lives are so frenetic at times. We've not had that. And it was, you know, it's very much about, you know, getting up and maybe going to work. And as you say, going to the gym on the way home and, you know, getting the kids from school and getting home and getting dinner on the table. And and you just didn't have that time to be able to to go out and take that space. But we've seen a huge boom in things like, wild swimming and you know as you say sort of getting out you know walking and and just being active and and things like allotments um you know a really I mean they've always been popular but I think certainly since since COVID you know of experience and an uptake uh, and you know it's we talk a lot about women in sport and it's not just all about you know team sport and and you know doing things at high octane it is actually just about moving your body so whether that's gardening or a stroll for 20 minutes it's it all counts it does it really does um yeah I think it it, it makes an enormous difference and also it, it then is a sort of gateway to other things that you might that you might want to explore that you wouldn't have done yeah absolutely um so you've got a a teenage daughter am I right is she a teenage have, now <laughs> yes yeah, she yes yeah, she's she's 18 um she was captain uh of the first team at uh, at tennis at her school something that she a sport she absolutely loved um and she was a very good hockey player as well she's in the first team at, at hockey uh at school so I'm, I'm hoping now she's heading out having a gap year 
heading towards university and I'm, I really hope that she will she will continue because um, she got a lot out of it. We're running a campaign at Women in Sport called Time Together which is all about encouraging uh, mums and their teenage daughters to spend time being active together because we know that they're kind of two areas and stages of your life where it's very easy to um, drop out of sport we you know we've got statistics that 1.3 million teenage girls are, are dropping out of sport each year um, and that women in midlife similarly you know hitting hitting menopause especially is is a time you know in your life where you're very time poor because often you're juggling careers and you know teenage children and elderly parents and you know your needs go by the wayside so you know that's certainly one thing that we're trying to in- encourage mums and, and daughters to to get out and spend some quality time together I think look I think that's so important I the difference between and I don't know other people might relate to this but um I'm always trying to cram so much into a day so for me walking slowly is just never an option and I'm sort of one of those people sad people that their blood pressure is starting to rise if people in front of them in the supermarket are going too slowly and my daughter is continually saying when we go on a walk, you have to walk so fast. Can't you just slow down? And um, so that's the only level of, of disagreement that we have. But I think sometimes I just think the teenager of today is is quite chilled. And where, you know, I'm at that other end where I'm just trying to cram everything in and sort of rushing and dashing everywhere. So much as I might think and say to her, you know you're a bit odd she says well you're much more odd than I am because you're just going such a pace but you know we do have a laugh together and um I really hope she'll carry on playing sport because uh I think as you say it's so sad when people get out of it yeah there's there's so many we know there's so many life pressures and you know not to mention as well you know sort of the the extra pressure of going through puberty and all of the transitions that that sort of young women have to cope with at that age that it's it's hard to get back because you know you 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 then go into the the world of work and and life gets in the way and if you've not got that kind of habit ingrained it's it's very very hard um to get back into so that's certainly what you know we're trying to to communicate effectively is that just do something because it's so important for you know physical and and mental health and uh, and all you know and 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 just being able to to sort of elevate your your career and all of those things that you might learn through playing team sport or, or individual sport? With, without doubt. And I mean, one of her big, my daughter Holly, one of her big yeah. regrets is the fact that she said, Mum, you should have forced me to play ballet, not to play ballet, to do ballet. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, but you were just, you were one of those girls that would not wear a dress. I said, you would not do ballet. You flatly refused. And she said, I, my greatest regret is you didn't force me to do ballet. <laughs> so anybody that's listening that's got a child, that uh, a daughter that doesn't want to do ballet, I think it's something, because she doesn't have the flexibility. I mean, that's another key point with PE, ballet, whatever it is um pilates yoga if you don't do it at a young age and you don't really start to stretch it's very very difficult to go back to it because your body just tightens and the more you can stretch um all those muscles uh, at that young age I, th- I do think that's really important so i mean tell me about you sort of mentioned very briefly some of the really difficult times in your career um you know talk to me a little bit about how your kind of sporting life has really helped you to manage those I think when uh, you can it happens in a in a very different way but I think when anything goes wrong 
you know, when when you've lost a game, you've lost a match, um, there is always this feeling of what could I have done better? What could I have done um, that would have made a difference? And that is exactly the same. I mean, effectively, you know, we I lead a membership organisation. We are lobbyists, effectively. We we lobby government stakeholders, retailers, processors. We're trying to create a great environment for British farming businesses to thrive. And so you rarely get in this world everything that you want or everything that you're asking for. And usually life is about compromise and and reconciling that that actually you've got to a good place you've done everything that you could but occasionally I think um and again I draw comparisons occasionally it's just plain unfair and things have conspired against you through no fault of your own and you have to cope with and live with something that you just feel is is wrong mm. um and I always and I think that, you know, one of the good things about age and time and learning from your experiences is that feeling of, yeah, sometimes you can throw everything at it. You can train as, as hard as you possibly can. And through no fault of your own, it will go wrong or due to somebody else, it will go wrong. And I think working in the political environment that I have been at the moment, you know, we've had a very long term conservative government, but I'm working my third prime minister in five years this government is very different to the last government. So it's, it remains quite hard to effectively stay at the table and be considerate and always putting solutions forward and that fine line between holding power to account. And I guess just not getting too rattled by it. You know, sometimes it's easy to just think the walls are closing in and this is, you know, this is really desperate. And it's just trying to see always the bigger picture. And that's, I guess, what I focus on. I, I probably won't name any one particular situation, but there have been many, there've been many dark days, I would say. But there've also been a lot of times, and I thought, gosh, this is, we are achieving what we need to achieve. Yeah, it's it's about composure, isn't it? And it's it's learning to control the controllables, and I think that's a lot of what sport does teach you. Yeah, without doubt, without doubt. So what's next for the NFU? And, you know, you, you mentioned that you're maybe reaching the end of it a decade in post. What would you like your legacy at the NFU to be? I suppose I feel, um, you know, I, I don't think any of us quite take on board the time of change that we're entering into, because for most of our lifetimes, we joined the common market in 1973. So for a lot of us, our lives were, whether you whether you loved it or loathed it in the EU, we were contained, if you like, by a framework where politically no one could quite escape the framework. So you had a sort of sense check of political thinking. That didn't mean that you couldn't have very, very diverse politics within it. But we are headed out into a whole new era. And I think, you know, it's it's going to be quite a few bumps in the road as things settle down um, because ultimately you know a UK government will have a commanding level of power that power will come and go as to whether they have a majority or not you could well end up with a coalition government next time round and it could be very different but this is I guess a major it is a major time of change and it will have impact on all of our lives, I think, in a way that we probably don't truly recognise yet, because, you know, the government of the day is literally dictating what immigration policy will like, the people who are going to work here or the people who aren't. 
the people are, are going to come here to play sport, to learn, to go to university. And it's also going to shape the future of our countryside and what that looks like and the people that farm it and the food that we'll be eating. You know, it is going to shape that potentially very differently. Um, so I, I see my legacy as as being about, you know, having got the groundwork for all of those areas, hopefully right, and got cross-party support for them. And it'll be more about setting the framework for the beginning of a journey than the end of it. But if I've done that, that will be the job done. Um, and I guess above all else, what I want is people on the back of my time at the NFU to value nature, the countryside and the food that they eat more and don't take it for granted because you know it's it's been very successful but I think we have taken everything for granted and we're going to need to step up and, and all speak up if we want to to keep it how it is and make it better. Absolutely I think you're you're absolutely right there and I think you know we we're we're all guilty of it aren't we we're all, all guilty of taking what we have for granted but it's just about really recognizing and valuing, you know, those those things that we 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 have around us. And as you say, the food on the table and the green space that we have outside, um, and and protecting those not just for us, but for our, our children and their children and future Most generations. Definitely. Um so just to sum up then, um, as this conversation's kind of been centered around around sport and, and certainly those transferable skills that it's given you in, in your in your business career. Can you just sum up in a in a couple of sentences um, what sport has really given you and why it matters? I think sport has given me probably the feeling of you can go much further than you think you can go. And it's amazing how, and I remember in the sort of, you know, that people will relate to this, the, the sort of last mile of the marathon when everything in your body is telling you to stop. And and yet your brain is absolutely 100 percent telling you to, to go on and not only go on, but not slow down. And it builds in you a resilience um, that you are not going to get from anywhere else, because that physical exertion that is driven effectively by the mental resilience is is what makes it for me what has made me resilient. Um, nothing else has done it in the way that sport has. Minna, I could talk to you all day. Um, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation and insight into your into your life, uh, into your sporting journey. And I think you know you, you've you've certainly demonstrated how much sport has has given you and enabled you to to be where you where you are at the moment. So thank you so much. And thank you so much too for listening. You can find out more about Women in Sport and our cause at womeninsport.org. We are a charity and every donation does help to make sure that no woman or girl is excluded from the joy and lifelong benefits of sport.